podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the armored Brent. Oh, very apt. That's perfect, because I am Indeed, indeed. Armor. Yeah, yeah the armor full the armor of God, yep. which you need to go forth and battle those demons. Yep. I almost left off the helmet of salvation. It was sitting downstairs, but I was like, oh, can't forget that. You I ran down and got it. forget the yep. helmet of salvation. I, I have to admit, though, I am not wearing the shoes of the preparation of oh, the Gospels. Yeah. I am sans any kind of shoe or sock. I, you yeah. know. Inside the house. I mean, you can't wear those in, no matter what kind of shoe, spiritual or otherwise. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, I am currently inside the uh, closet ah. of angelic protection. And so I'm just adding a level. I'm adding a level to yeah. my armor to make up for it. The girdle. Is it of righteousness? The girdle of righteousness is very uncomfortable. No, no, no. It's the br- oh. it's the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness. It's the girdle of truth. Girdle of truth. That's uh, you got to gird your loins. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable as I'm sitting here, but it works. Yeah, Very uncomfortable and very complicated. So before we get into today's episode, just a few announcements. First of all, we are on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash none dare call it ordinary and donate $1 a month, you'll support the show and get a shout out. And for $5 a month, you will also get access to our monthly bonus episodes. And October is special because we are releasing two, two bonus episodes for October. We already released the episode on the documentary Hell House. (laughs) And you can listen to a sample of that on this here uh, podcast a couple of episodes ago. Also, a uh, quick reminder, we are on Twitter at NDCIO and Instagram at None Dare Call It Ordinary. And there you can find any fun images or videos that we find and also keep up to date on any news about the podcast. And lastly, if you could please rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever your podcasts are served. All right, so what is it we're talking about today, Dylan? Well, uh, Brent, who is wearing the full armor of God, Mm -hmm. this is our last episode on spiritual warfare. We started with the basic introduction, and then last episode we gave you what's considered by many to be a a kind of how-to or handbook. We covered Frank Peretti's This Present Darkness, even though it is a work of fiction Mm -hmm. and is quite spectacular, people still take it very seriously. But today we are going a step deeper and we are talking about strategic level spiritual warfare and spiritual mapping, both the ridiculous elements and the downright deadly elements. (laughs) So let's get into this. What is strategic level spiritual warfare? This term comes from the man who is regarded as the vanguard of the spiritual mapping movement, according to Christian Science Monitor. C. Peter Wagner, who runs Global Harvest Ministries in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Just as there are three heavens, Wagner explains that there are three levels of spiritual warfare. The first is ground level. This is combating demons possessing individuals. Think like an exorcism, like in The Exorcist. Okay, so it's this ground level. Okay, so ground level. Does this include only humans? No pig individuals? Then they, they can't be possessed. That, that's a good question. Based, that probably. was unexplained okay. in the articles I read. I think the pig. You know, they're the they're the kind of the sacrificial animal here. Yeah. I think it's more about getting the demons into the pigs. Right. We're less unfortunately. Sadly, yeah. there's not a lot of animal rights in the Bible. The it's, pigs, we don't really care about. <laughs> pretty much the opposite. Yeah. The next level is the occult level. Now, this is combating demonic organizations. According to Wagner, prominent organized, quote, powers of darkness include New Age thought, Tibetan Buddhism and Freemasonry. You know, normally you don't think of Buddhism as demonic. You don't hear that too often. Freemasonry, sure, but Buddhism, eh, not so much. Yeah, well, you are wrong. I am. I'm sorry. There, it's (laughs) full of demons. That's true. And then the third is the topic of this episode, and that is strategic level 
spiritual warfare, and that is when you combat the territorial spirits that directly control a certain geographical area. Ah, like say a small town named Ashton, for example. Exactly. That is a prime example of strategic level spiritual warfare and is actually one of the main sources of the popularity of the idea of a territorial spirit. Mm. This also, Derek Prince talked about this a little bit too, the idea that there are demons that control specific parts of the planet. Jonathan Graff, who was the editor of Prey Magazine, noted that strategic level spiritual warfare is controversial, to say the least, in the evangelical community. Quote, a lot of people in the conservative camp say scripture is fairly unclear about how aggressive one is to be, particularly in praying directly against demons or territorial spirits. They say, just pray to God. But more charismatic believers say, Scripture says we all have authority in Christ and can come against principalities and spirits, and we need to do that. I think it would just be best to keep in mind this simple phrase, pray out loud, pray hard, and pray constantly. I think that you would cover your bases. I fully agree, and we're going to get into that. And I would add, pray with a lot of people. You also got to do that. You got to get everybody involved. Russell Spittler, provost at Fuller Theological Seminary, says that spiritual warfare, especially the spiritual mapping component, is popular with Pentecostals. Quote, Pentecostals approach scripture literally, so they see the world populated with demons. It is not a far step to start naming them, assigning them territories, devising prayer strategies. For Pentecostals, spiritual warfare is not a metaphor, it's reality. So say you're a young pastor, maybe Pastor Hank from This Present Darkness, as we mentioned in our last episode, the book, and you see a Pentecostal, you know, speaking in tongues with their hands waving about, eyes rolled back in their head. You may very well try to cast what you would consider to be a demon out of them, but really it's the Holy Spirit. Exactly. So I can only imagine casting out the Holy Spirit is a huge no-no in the spiritual warfare playbook. So it's, it's, you definitely, it's confusing that's bit. the opposite. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely the opposite. <laughs> don't let it cast yeah, out the Holy Spirit. That is, <laughs> no, that's in the, the, in the demonic warfare 101 book is casting out the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so true. Now let's get into specifically spiritual mapping. This term was coined by George Otis Jr. And he defines it this way, quote, spiritual mapping is the discipline of diagnosing the obstacles to revival in a given community. Through fervent prayer and diligent research, practitioners are able to measure the landscape of the spiritual dimension and discern moral gateways between it and the material world. It answers the questions, what is wrong with my community? Where did the problem come from? What can be done to change things? You know, I feel like spiritual mapping would be a geology course offered at Bob Jones University. See, I would agree with you, but sadly, Bob Jones University does (laughs) not have a geology department. How can I forget? So... I yeah, it's, about a, that. it's a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity. <laughs> totally. I mean, I feel like they're uh, they could have an excellent GIS program, yeah. but sadly, they, uh, they can't do Maybe it. Maybe Liberty. Maybe Liberty. We'll we'll have to hold out hope for them. In case you thought this might be about poverty or racial injustice or some other kind of structural problems where you live, relax. It's just about demons. Spiritual mapping involves searching for individuals or groups or even locations under demonic possession, which can then be tackled via spiritual warfare. As Otis puts it more concretely, quote, spiritual mapping is nothing more ethereal than creating a spiritual profile of a community based on careful research. It is a tool, he says, for intelligent prayer aimed at opening spiritually blind eyes to the gospel. You know, can you imagine the poor sap who spends his life praying fervently, constantly with all of his heart? They're praying unintelligently. That's what a waste. What a waste of a life. It really, I mean, exactly. So to be safe, we recommend to all of our listeners only pray once you know the specific coordinates of a local demonic hotspot. That is the only way to know (laughs) that your prayer is actually having any effect. You don't want to be like that guy in this present darkness who the angels made fun of because he wasn't praying hard enough. You do not want to be that guy. Have the coordinates in mind. Yeah, exactly. Otis even has a 28 point scale to measure the progress of communities targeted by spiritual mapping. Phases on the scale include the progression from spiritual beachhead to spiritual breakthrough to spiritual transformation. 
spiritual mapping itself doesn't even show up until stage nine. (laughs) And this is quoted in an article from Christianity Today. And sadly, I am unable to find the full scale. Uh. I have not yet been able to find the entire thing. Once we do, we will share it with you. Yeah, I want that as a poster I can hang next to my geologic scale on the wall. I was wondering also, is this a topographical map? I'm just curious. I need spiritual relief and spiritual contour lines to understand what I'm looking at here. I need to know. You see, if Bob Jones had the geology department, we could be answering these questions. We could. It should also be noted here that spiritual mapping is a fairly recent phenomenon. According to Wagner, spiritual mapping was, quote, virtually unknown to the majority of Christians before the 1990s. So real recent. That's right. Yeah. Before that, spiritual warriors thought the spiritual landscape was flat. Exactly. They didn't know what they were doing. Now, how exactly does this work? So you want to start a spiritual map. Where do you start? Well, one determines the demonic hotspots by the presence of, quote, anti-Christian behavior, including opposing religious views, liberal philosophies, Mm -hmm. atheism, drugs, sexually provocative influences, and or crime. Religiously motivated crime is not indicated on these maps, I guess? No, not at all. And as we'll learn later, religiously motivated crime is sometimes part of the spiritual mapping program. That's the real fun part of spiritual mapping. Demographic data is also used to aid in identifying such hotspots. So... As you know, as I just said, looking for areas where there's a lot of crime, Mm -hmm. looking for areas where there's a lot of poverty, because those are not caused by structural issues. They're caused by demons. Yeah, obviously. Wagner specifically mentions looking for witches, Freemasons or, quote, occult idol objects like statues of Catholic saints. So (laughs) we see where he's coming from here. Okay. And I should mention, you know, just to be fully transparent that right now in in my car, there is a patriot saint of uh, cancer patients. I don't remember which saint it is, but mm-hmm. it's like a little placard yeah. uh, inside our car. So my car is like a mobile demonic stronghold. That is not good. You may, you know, uh, you may need like an angel escort at some point on your car if you get, you know, <laughs> make sure you make the right turns and just be careful out there. And, and as we learned from the last episode, angels and demons are often fighting in cars. <laughs> right. So it's not something that they're unused to. Once you've created your spiritual map, what do you do? Well, once you've identified some demonic hotspots, the spiritual warrior can use anything in their toolkit from prayer to burning with fire. Quote, they must burn the idols, the kinds of material things that might be bringing honor to the spirits of darkness. Pictures, statues, Catholic saints, books of Mormon. (laughs) The witches and warlocks had surrounded the area. When the flame shot up, A woman right behind Doris, who is Wagner's wife, screamed and manifested a demon, which Doris immediately cast out. Nice job. Quick response. Way to think on your feet, Doris. Instantly cast out. We know Doris was wearing the shoes of the preparation of the gospel. She was mobile and available. She knew what she was doing. Now, this is all so far very abstract. Let's find some real world examples of this happening and being successful. Christian Science Monitor details Otis's work as a global demonic consultant of sorts. Quote, he has visited cities worldwide and offers pastors a roadmap, including questions on the spiritual history and dynamics of their cities. They should gather, for example, detailed information on the status of Christianity, prevailing social bondages, historical events that cause trauma, predominant philosophies and religions, and human groups and demonic powers that pose spiritual opposition. You know, Otis is basically building like a Christian GIS, just geographic information system. Uh, But he should call it DIS, Demon Information Services or system. Yes. But unlike GIS, which is a software using various map layers for storing and analyzing spatial data for information processing, he's using the vast network of useless nonsense to process more useless nonsense. So it's using the power of technology in a visually appealing way, display a bunch of false information, Mm -hmm. which is really I mean, is that not social media? Yeah, but. I mean, I have to say, you know, the way you're talking about the uh, the DIS is that, you know, spiritual mapping kind of died out. It's not super popular anymore anymore. It was like the nine, like the the 90s and the early 2000s is when spiritual mapping was real hip. Yeah. And I could just imagine all of the incredible spiritual mapping apps that would have been available in the oh, app store. God, yes, it would no be like kidding. that app citizen. Oh, yeah. With citizen. Yeah, yeah. You can, you know, report crimes in your area. Mm-hmm. But instead, 
of, you know, your run-of-the-mill criminals, you could report criminals against Christ and just have a nice little handy, you know, crowdsource it. We need to crowdsource the spiritual mapping project. That's brilliant. Now, one of these successful real-world examples of spiritual mapping working, according to Otis, was in Hemet, California. Bob Beckett, a new pastor in the area, used a map to mark places in the city where potential demonic activity was taking place, including, quote, controversial religious centers, cults, youth gangs, and the West Coast's largest methamphetamine manufacturing facilities. It's unexplained how the pastor knew where that last one was. I think he should have probably, instead of marking it on a map, huh. maybe told his local uh, police department. Yes, I think they would have been, been interested. That might have been smart. And actually, I think we need to write a new novel with a new pastor, Hank, who is like Hank, but from Breaking Bad instead of This Present Darkness. Oh, you know? man. That's incredible. So Beckett's spiritual mapping endeavor started with a property he himself was going to buy. Once he discovered that it used to be a, quote, transcendental meditation hot zone, he pulled out an area map and marked the spot. So, okay, so there are like Beckett guides for baseball, basketball, football cards. I wonder if there are Beckett spiritual maps just to kind of get a price on them. I think he is the guy. He is the the person you look to. He's just a living Beckett guide. Once Beckett assembled his kind of spiritual map, his map of all the demonic hot zones, he reached into his spiritual toolkit and what he pulled out was prayer. Mm. After prayer targeted specifically at these locations, the pastor and his congregants noted a dramatic improvement. Mm. Drug production had decreased. Corrupt cops had been fired. Gang members had become Christians. Cults were broken up and Christians now held key political positions. So only one cult allowed the spiritual mapping cult. Got it. Exactly. Otis holds Hemet as an incredible success story and notes that it was Beckett's perseverance that won the day. Quote, God didn't move in Hemet until Bob bought a burial plot in the city. Another case study is Cali, Colombia, quote, home of the infamous drug cartel. And no, it doesn't say which one, just the <laughs> yeah, infamous know, drug cartel. That one. These articles, again, these articles were written a few decades ago yeah. when I think there were probably, maybe there were fewer drug cartels because it seems there's a whole bunch. Yep. The pastors in Cali, Columbia first started by gathering intelligence from the 22 administrative zones in the area, including political, social, and spiritual strongholds. Then they gathered thousands into a soccer stadium for all night prayer vigils. Jeez, this damn worst soccer game ever. Let's assume they kept playing uh, soccer. Excuse me, worst football game. Oh my God. This is in oh, Columbia Jesus. after I all. I just revealed I'm an American. I was trying to hold that secret for so long. Yeah, now everybody knows. It's a, it's a it. sad fact. These vigils led to fewer homicides, hmm. cartel leaders being arrested, and more people going to church. A less rigorous approach, but still a success story, was followed by Ruggles Baptist Church in Boston. Larry Showalter, a pastor at the church, explains that their focus is the universities, which harbor a, quote, rampant spirit of unbelief. Oh, yeah, we, you know, we know all about this from the last episode. There's always a prince. Yeah, there's always a prince of Babylon possessed Professor Langstrat at every university. Check your philosophy departments, check your psychology departments, your pre-med. Exactly. You think Whitmore (laughs) College is bad? Just hang out at Harvard for a few days and tell me there's not a demonic (laughs) presence there. Seriously. So what was Larry Showalter's approach once they identified these universities, these rampant spirits of unbelief? Well, according to him, quote, we would pray against that spirit in the opposite way for faith to rise up and to dominate. Yeah. Next, we're going to cover a more controversial success story, although we're going to start with the success part. And later in the episode, we're going to uh, cover the more controversial parts of this story. And this is the story of Thomas Muthi. Muthi is a member of the New Apostolic Reformation. They're the umbrella organization of folks. I mean, Otis is a part of this. Wagner is a part of this. And Mm -hmm. it's the kind of the spiritual mapping church. More or less. It's the okay. umbrella organization of people who are into this. He's also buddies with Sarah Palin, ah. who I didn't expect to be making an appearance here. No. He, he he even anointed her with oil on October 16th, 2005, of course. about a year before she was elected as governor of Alaska in 2006. 
movie even came to the U.S. to pray over the 2008 election. Well, I guess they didn't pray hard enough or loud enough or enough people or with enough people because uh, Obama and Biden won that one. So, yeah, <laughs> oops, exactly. Maybe he can uh, maybe he can come over in uh, 2020 and, and uh, work his magic again. Right. <laughs> I think that would uh, I think that would be nice. Yes, please. Do. Right before Muthi anointed Palin, he said this, quote, when we talk about transformations of a community, we are talking about God invading seven areas of society. This is a reference to the, quote, seven mountain strategy or the seven mountain mandate of the new apostolic reformation. The seven mountains are education, religion, family, business, government slash military, art slash entertainment and media. That's more like 11. Let's just be honest. Let's separate those. Well, hold on. No, government, okay. military. That's one. Right, Arts right. and entertainment. I hate to say it, Brent. I think you are enumerate. I don't think you know how to count. Oh, uh, I think the demon of not knowing how to count is in me. Sorry. Yeah, the demon of enumeracy <laughs> is in deep inside your bones. We got to get it out of there. Cast it out. This is foreshadowing the more sinister sides of spiritual warfare and spiritual mapping in particular. This idea of not just boosting Christianity or getting rid of demonic strongholds, things that pretty much everyone will agree are bad, like crime and gangs and so mm -hmm. on. But the end goal is often to actually take over these communities and to turn them into essentially Christian theocracies. Yeah, exactly. But we have some more fun stuff to get through, such as the <laughs> fact that Thomas Muthi is also a witch hunter oh. and Pentecostal preacher. Okay. So the show Supernatural, got it. Oh, yeah. Or the show Preacher, actually, either one. You know, actually, <laughs> I wonder, though, if... <laughs> If a witch hunter is more prestigious career, like maybe you start off as like a ghost hunter and you work your way up. I feel the witch hunters are more uh, active, yeah. especially when you are outside of the United States, as it That's turns true. out. That's true. Good point. But the reason we're talking about Nuthi is not because of Sarah Palin. It's not even right now because he's a witch hunter but it's because he is another spiritual mapping success story. Hmm. Muthi claims that he was, quote, called by God to Kiambu, which is a suburb of Nairobi in Kenya. He referred to it as a ministry graveyard for a long period of time. There was just no, no one could get a Christian community going on real strong there until Muthi finally figured out what the problem was after months of prayer and research. And you guessed it. <laughs> The problem was the spirit of witchcraft, oh, of course, course, as per usual. That's what it is. Got it. Specifically, it was a woman named Mama Jane mm. who ran a, quote, divination clinic. Muthi thought he could succeed where others failed. He set up a church in the basement of a grocery store called the Prayer Cave, where parishioners prayed 24-7 to break the demonic hold over Kiambu. So I know I've mentioned this movie before, but this is the Christian flicks version of Fight Club. I think it's called Light Club, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> they get started in the bottom of a of a uh, grocery store. A little different. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's it's probably based on Muthi. <laughs> probably is. Muthi says that Mama Jane counterattacked, but eventually Muthi and his church and the prayer cavers were successful. So I'm curious, like how how she counterattacked. Like, wonder what that meant i know i want to know too it was unclear he left it very vague <laughs> sure he did and once he was successful against mamba jane quote the demonic influence the principality over kiambu was broken mama jane left shortly thereafter and the whole community improved quote the atmosphere changed dramatically bars closed the crime rate dropped people began to move to the area and the economy took an upturn the church now has 5,000 members, he says, and 400 members meet to pray daily at 6 a.m. Is it okay? Is this still the church ran out of a basement of a grocery store? Because they may want to think mm, about moving know. up and holding some Sunday school services, like maybe up in the produce department. They just got to uh, yes. expand out of the basement. Yeah, they need to move the bakery right next to the <laughs> seafood aisle. I feel like yeah, keep those you could serve close. communion in the bakery. It's perfect. Exactly. So we've got some success stories, but believe it or not, not everyone is on board with spiritual warfare or spiritual mapping in particular, including some evangelicals. It's nice. not just chuckleheads like us who are a bit skeptical. It's people within these Christian communities. According to Derek Trimble, who runs the World Prayer Center, there are two views about a city in trouble. Quote, when you move into the area of why things occur in a city, some will say it's just social or economic or cultural trends. Others will say that it has to do with demonic influences over an area. So 
I leave it as an exercise to the listeners to figure out which one is right. Phyllis Tickle, a contributing editor at Publishers Weekly, suggests that there is more bark than bite when evangelicals start talking about spiritual warfare. Quote, within the evangelical Christian community, there is a good deal of looking askance when somebody says spiritual warfare, though there is much lip service to it. There certainly is a hardcore who think that way, but the bulk do not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, some Christians believe in spiritual peacetime. They are Mm. anti-spiritual warfare. And I think it was, was it President Eisenhower who warned us against the dangers of the spiritual industrial complex? Yes, I I believe. I think that's how that went. Yeah, that (laughs) that is totally true. Even among the strongest proponents of spiritual mapping are criticisms that some misinterpret what spiritual warfare is meant to accomplish. Otis himself says, quote, We are not asking God to make people Christians. Such requests violate human free will. What we are appealing for is a level playing field a temporary lifting of the spiritual blindness that prevents people from processing truth. You know, shouldn't that really just be part of the whole spiritual armor? I mean, how about maybe some spiritual glasses to help see the demonic forces around you? Maybe that would be more helpful than a fucking girdle. I mean, come (laughs) on. I mean, sorry, call me a, you know, a modernist or whatever, but. I mean, come on, but the girdles. Yeah, we don't need a girdle of truth. We need night vision goggles of truth. I think that is in the modern era. (laughs) That is what the spiritual warrior needs. Exactly. Another proponent of spiritual mapping, Clinton Arnold, professor at Biola University Talbot Theological Seminary, thinks it can serve as a guide for intercessors, but thinks it sometimes goes too far. Quote, Arnold finds no biblical basis for taking an aggressive posture against high ranking evil powers and he is cautious about a leader repenting for sins in which he did not participate. Greg Boyd, author of God at War, The Bible and Spiritual Conflict, thinks spiritual mapping and strategic-level spiritual warfare can go too far. Quote, That doesn't mean you need to rule it out, but it does mean you've got to be careful about excesses. I've seen this get real wacko, where people are rebuking a demon over Minnesota. It's better to spend more time on things that have clear precedent. A demon over Minnesota. You know, that is fucking stupid. We all know demons over Wisconsin are a much graver threat. Just look at your fucking map. Look at the map. Yeah, he, some, you know, proponent of spiritual mapping. He can't see the demon of Wisconsin (laughs) staring him right in the face. (laughs) One group that has been especially critical of spiritual mapping is the Anti-Defamation League. Their specific complaint was over the Southern Baptist Convention, which urged for its members during the Jewish High Holy Days to pray that Jews would convert to Christianity. ADL National Director Abraham Foxman put it this way, quote, We are deeply offended that it's done on the eve of the most holy period on the Jewish calendar, and then to track and identify Jews by name? That means you target somebody by research. (laughs) Gonna have to agree. Seems pretty shitty. I agree. And it's this last bit that Martin Marty, who worked for the Public Religion Project, thinks is most egregious. Quote, the offense comes in what looks like the breaking of the rules of the game when you begin to target. It's when you name a proper name of someone devoted to God in a different way or even, you might say, to a different God that people get their backs up. In a sense, you're saying we're not really at home with American pluralism. That sense that if we don't want holy wars, we do well to be respectful of each other. Exactly. Yeah. And this reminds me about the controversy with the Mormons. The Mormons would baptize dead people. Mm -hmm. Have you heard about this where they would actually and like they, for example, they did mass baptisms for American Indians and for (laughs) uh, Jews who died in the Holocaust, which seems really fucked up. Super and yeah, up. so it's a similar, similar kind of thing. Probably not the best it. thing to do, mm-hmm. but there's still more to criticize. And in order to understand the real problems with spiritual warfare and spiritual mapping, we need to look outside of the United States and we need to look at the transformation videos. This is in, before YouTube. If you wanted to get a video out there, you had to make it yourself. You had to slap it on a VHS and you had to send it to people. And this was a series made by the new apostolic reformation promoting these ideas of strategic level spiritual warfare and spiritual mapping. And one of the stars of those videos happens to be Thomas Muthi, because Muthi's story sounds kind of sort of wholesome if any of this is something you're into. You know, there were 
you know, there was crime, there was drugs, there were, you know, witch doctors, and by praying a bunch, he drove them out. Doesn't sound too bad, but on closer inspection, things get a little sordid. Because while the United States is blessed with a kinder, gentler approach to spiritual mapping, this is not the case once you get outside of the United States. Certain cities are, quote, character cities, where the government itself seeks to eliminate demonic hotspots within its borders. This is achieved by, quote, taking efforts to bring members of the city into alignment with theocratic rules and to expel dissidents and other undesirables. This is even briefly mentioned above when we talked about the, quote, success story of Hemet. One of the signs of success, after all, was that, quote, Christians now hold key political positions. South American and African countries take this to a whole different level, promoting, quote, witch hunts in Africa, endorsing death squads in Guatemala, the de-Catholicizing of Brazil, and the mythology of miraculous curing of AIDS in Uganda. Yeah, there's nothing funny about this. This shit's fucked up. It is fucked up, and we yeah. are going to dig even deeper. <laughs> and we also mentioned before that Seven Mountains mandate, and this really takes on a whole new meeting once you go outside of the United States, where the goal is to take the reins of government, of media, of business to instill not only a Christian theocracy, but a total Christian control of the local culture to really, you know, get every single component, not just the government. Right. And to really dig into the heinous elements of this, there is an excellent article by Rachel Tabachnik, who wrote for Talk to Action. She argues that this is the real end goal of the spiritual mapping movement, a global Christian theocracy. God, fucking nightmare. Indeed. <laughs> Her argument starts with the, the aforementioned Transformation series, which was a series of videos featuring the spiritual mapping success stories described above. She delves into detail about what these videos suggest will happen after the demonic stronghold is broken through intensive prayer. Quote, this allows the spirit-filled Christians to take control of government and societal leadership and bring about miraculous transformations to the community. These communities are then filled with smiling people celebrating their freedom from the bondage of the previous social ills. The message is clear. A world controlled by spirit-filled Christians and purged of everything else will be transformed. A utopia free of sickness, poverty, and crime. It is the ultimate faith-based program. Yeah, you know, and if you don't believe in any of this Christian theocracy nonsense, that's okay, because you can just leave peacefully and nothing bad will happen to you. That's how these things always go down in history. Oh, leave, absolutely. No it's it's just like Richard Spencer's white <laughs> ethno state. He, yeah. it, it's going to be peaceful. It's not that he doesn't like non-white people. He <laughs> just wants to make it illegal for non-white people <laughs> to be near him. <laughs> And so clearly, he's going to be peaceful in instituting any kind of white ethnicity. Exactly. So let's start at the top, the first Transformations video, Transformations 1. The first video in the Transformations series covers the above-mentioned Thomas Muthi, whose diligent work drove out the occultist Mama Jane and led to the Christian rebirth in Kiambu. But, believe it or not, things are not as they seem in Kiambu. Mm. First of all, Mama Jane... Totally still there hanging out, at least nice. as of the release of the video in 1999. <laughs> you stand your ground, Mama Jane. Come on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Fuck these people. Also, Tabachdick reports that the spiritual mapping movement has taken a bit of a violent turn in Kenya. Quote, in Kenya, moms recently have killed elderly people accused of witchcraft. And this past May, 11 elderly Kenyan men and women were burned and lynched in Kisi a provincial town in Kenya. The raiders, as they were called, according to one news account, claimed the burning of the suspects would bring peace to the area. That's fucking horrible. Really, really disturbing. Another success story, quote-unquote, mentioned in Transformations 1 is Guatemala in the form of Harold Caballeros, a former presidential candidate and founder of El Shaddai, a 9,000-member church in Guatemala City. So who belonged to El Shaddai? One congregate was Erwin Spirison, former director of Guatemala's Policia Nacional Civil, the PNC. The New York Times shed some light on what fun activities the PNC were up to. Quote, the officers in these squads belong to evangelical churches, the official said, and see the extrajudicial killings of gang members, known here as social cleansing, as holy work. But they also have begun to commit crimes for their own profit. That's how these things usually go. 
Yeah, nice. Yeah, see, the problem cool. isn't the uh, theocratic social cleansing. It's the, they're they're getting money for themselves. Yeah, they're paid. skimming off the top. Right. Now, you might think, look, it's a little unfair to blame Caballeros himself for the actions of one of his congregants, even if he is a rather powerful congregant. Well, when Caballero speaks for himself, it's no longer tenable to hold this. Quote, the debt squads that still function within the PNC and the Ministry of Government are a holy enterprise that is organized by agents and personnel from evangelical churches that know our obligations to society. I must recognize that the story published in the New York Times on March 5th of this year is true. The social cleansing that, together with Carlos Vielman as Minister of Government, we carried out in the institution had to be done and must continue, as I understand has been ordered to the new authorities. How does this reflect on the wider new apostolic reformation community? Like, how does it connect to them? Well, as a cherry on top to this story, C. Peter Wagner himself thinks that Caballero, who ran for president in Guatemala in 2007, is just a wonderful guy. (laughs) Quote, Christians in the global South are way ahead of us in this area. The values of the kingdom of God should penetrate every level of society, and they understand that. Caballeros is doing it right going right to the top and taking dominion. Jesus. You know, thanks, evangelicals. Not only did you overwhelmingly vote for the worst human possible to become president of the United States, you started this horrible shit all over the world. Influenced. Yeah, it is great. It's uh, the the true colors show once uh, they're in communities where they're allowed to blossom. Right, exactly. Now let's take a quick look at Transformations 2. The second video in the Transformation series has some, shall we say, interesting takes on recent Ugandan history. Quote, The last segment of this video is a rewriting of Ugandan history as a Manichaean battle between born-again Christianity and devil worship. Again, the story includes a witch doctor, and this one dies after the prayers of the intercessors. The battle ends in the triumphant New Year's event on December 31st, 1999 at which a covenant signed by President and First Lady Museveni dedicated the nation to God for 1,000 years. Ah, it's like the New Jerusalem from the book of Revelations. Exactly, exactly. The New Uganda. The revival portrayed in the movie is claimed to have resulted in instantaneous healing of thousands of AIDS patients. Narrator George Otis himself claims these miracles were confirmed by astounded doctors. Transformations 2 also promotes the idea that Uganda's move towards abstinence-only sex education has greatly reduced the AIDS epidemic when it, in fact, has done quite the opposite. Ah, what a shock. I I know. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. And the last movie in the series we're going to talk about is Transformations 4. Transformations 3, I assume, was not very interesting. The fourth installment of the Transformation series is the most blatant so far in promoting straight-up Christian theocracy approving of the Christian coup in Fiji in 2000. You know, I would, and this is hard for me to say this, um, and Forrest isn't here, and I feel like I'm kind of channeling him here on this one, but I would rather see Michael Bay's Transformers 4 than Transformations (laughs) 4, and that is saying a lot, so. (sighs) Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with that. Yeah. Are these on (sighs) YouTube? Have you... Ugh, not that anyone should watch them. Yeah, maybe we can make this a uh, Patreon thing, but um, I did not feel the need <laughs> yes, to actually watch these, <laughs> I will admit. Good for you. As Tabachnik reports, quote, In 2000, the democratically elected Indo-Fijian prime minister and members of his multi-ethnic cabinet were overthrown and kidnapped in coup by ethnic Fijians. After the military restored order, an ethnic Fijian government regained power with support of a unity effort by the Christian population. But Transformations 4 has a slightly different take on the situation. Quote, In one of the most remarkable success stories of the modern era, the Fijian experience offers a potent reminder of what is possible when church and state come together for the well-being of society. We've heard of the Antichrist. This is the anti-founding father. So just <laughs> exactly. opposite of that. Continuing the quote, This 79-minute documentary covers the astonishing revival that is currently sweeping through the nation of Fiji. It is a moving and instructive testament of unprecedented Christian unity, contemporary signs and wonders, rapid church growth, and genuine socio-political transformation. The breath of God has revived even the land and the sea. Hmm. You know, I would have thought that the skies would have been revived by the breath of God. Eh, Apparently, God only breathes 
underwater and through solid rock. So Yeah, I mean, he uh, is. He works in mysterious ways. Yeah, we'll, we'll never know. So after the coup happened, the video reports widespread physical healing of both people and the economy. Wow. Even the coral Maybe reefs improved and unprecedented numbers of fish were caught. And now the coral reefs are bleached white by God's bad breath, which sucks, I guess. I don't know. You know, I'm going to blame the demons for this one, because yeah, as we yeah, know yeah. from the previous episode, they are constantly breathing yellow and red vapors. Right. And God, who knows what right. effect it's that has not on the, the acidification of the uh, salt water. It is the demons. I agree. But even in the success story, there was one island which still suffered. So why <laughs> was this happening? The reason is that the indigenous population of that island killed a missionary way back in 1857. Jeez. And so the island suffered from a generational curse. <laughs> Good to know that curses are, are part of Christianity. I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't either. But don't worry. After hosting their own revival, and of course pitching carved masks and native artifacts into a bonfire, <laughs> huh, nice. even this island was able to experience the glory of Christ in the form of the, quote, immediate cleansing of a poisonous, polluted stream. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. One person praised by the video is Aseneca Cacao, who is praised for her work as the Minister for Social Welfare and Poverty Alleviation. The video says that she and her colleagues have formed a nation, quote, where God is glorified on the floor of Parliament, and where, quote, national government has declared a year of forgiveness and reconciliation, even forming a new government department focused on reconciliation, where government officials travel to other nations not in their official capacity, but as missionaries carrying the torch of revival and sharing what God has done in their land. Somehow, though, there are people who have a slightly different take on cacao. I know it's hard to believe, but they're there, and this is what they have to say. Quote, Others have described this supposedly utopian period between the 2000 and 2006 coups as a time of growth in poverty, squatters, and religious-based attacks on Hindu temples. A Seneca cacao is quoted as likening the non-Christian Indo-Fijians to, quote, wild weeds which take up too much space in the country. Whatever. Wild weeds are robust, resilient, and strong. So I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, absolutely. You that. keep being a wild weed. <laughs> The NGO submission to the Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination Concerning Fiji also notes some disturbing ideas espoused by Cacao. Quote, Adi Aseneca Cacao likened squatters to, quote, thieves because they lived illegally on someone else's land. Cacao, who was the state minister for housing at the time, said that police should make, quote, every effort to round up and remove squatters. And to top it all off, Cacao, in a bizarre story... <laughs> was arrested in the San Francisco airport for attacking a woman with her shoe. Oh, God. Nothing screams take what I'm saying seriously, like assaulting a random person with your shoe. I agree. Mm -hmm. uh, the only exception I'll take, though, is the man who threw the shoe at George yes. W. Bush. That yep. was truly that incredible. Was, yep. He had a good point there. And to end the series, we're going to take all this back to the United States. All because right. even though the most extreme elements of this are happening outside our borders, it's still partly happening here as well. So, for example, we have a group called the Promise Keepers, mm -hmm. and this is an organization they talk about standing in the gap for our nation or standing in the gap for godly government. The idea that we need to turn the government into a Christian oriented government. And, it'd be, and to be clear, you know, we're not they're not talking about the store, the gap, right? I mean, I just want to make sure. No, not, no. OK. Yeah, don't, not don't stand in the gap. OK, no. Yeah, it doesn't mean that you should start a you know, 24-7 prayer vigil in the basement of a gap. <laughs> but I if you are shopping at the gap, mean. you better be praying. I mean, let's don't. Exactly. Yeah. And there are also um, dominionist publishers, and dominionists mm -hmm. are Christian theocrats, mm -hmm. which we will definitely, definitely be covering yes, yeah. in another series. Absolutely. Right. But some dominionist publishers, they take this spiritual warfare language and apply it to their project. So, for example, we have Wall Builders, which takes their name from Ezekiel 2230, and they publish books about conservative politics in the name of spiritual warfare. Any uh, connection to the We Build the Wall, Brian Colfage, MAGA people? No, probably not. No, you know, I don't know. Should not that those. I know of. Actually, no, don't. Don't merge not, actually. 
I say that sarcastically. The presidential prayer team also promotes prayer as a form of spiritual warfare to support George W. Bush and his foreign policy. Foreign policy? The Iraq war debacle? Well, Jesus, yet another clear example of how prayer surely doesn't work. Or I'm sorry, they didn't pray hard enough. Or maybe it wasn't they didn't pray out loud. Maybe that was it. Or, with yeah, or they people. didn't get enough people. Yes, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of possible mistakes. There's a made. lot of possibilities. Pro-life groups also often intermingle uh, spiritual warfare lingo into their protests. Mm-hmm. And they see abortion itself as resulting from demonic influence. And so to end here, the this talk of spiritual warfare and intercessory prayer and fighting demonic influence and demonic influence over an area often goes hand in hand with a kind of Christian theocratic project. This idea that, you know, not only should we take control of the government to fight demons, but that literally that is how you fight demons. You fight demons by taking over the the government. Yeah, just horrible. And with that, we are done with part three of our spiritual warfare and our spiritual warfare series. So Brent, what did you learn in this series? What most stuck out to you? I'll tell you there, there's a few things. So I know, um, you know, with the last, well, okay. So like the first episode was very, um, informative. I think it's interesting that these people, it's sort of like enjoying the infighting like we did with the set of a contest how they they just nitpick at each other and yeah evangelical community is you know some of them uh some of them really are into it some of them are not um as far as like the present darkness that we did last uh last episode i think that that one was it was funny to me how these situations that are so you know kind of boring and mundane in a small town they they see it as you know on another realm there's like a massive cosmic battle with fighting of powerful giant entities trying to influence the outcome if you know like edith comes to church or that day or whatever it is yeah it's just very simple and strange so um i don't know how that goes but yeah like the act of an old woman coming to cast the (laughs) tie-breaking vote is turned into this epic confrontation between her and an invisible demon exactly yeah there's just so much importance behind everything that we do i think also as far as you know, it's fun. To, this is sort of like got a and d aspect to it, as, as you, you know, you've mentioned before. And it's to me, you know, it's kind of fun to do that as an adult. I think it can be fun to role play and be imaginative and stuff. But the scary thing is, is when this stuff becomes real and that's when it becomes kind of dangerous. Yes. When you think this stuff is actually happening and then you end up getting, you know, Christian theocracy and thinking you can cure AIDS and Uganda and these horrible um, situations with, you know, killing witches and stuff. It's just not good. Yeah. So what about you, Dylan? What, so, what was your uh, favorite parts? So definitely the D&D aspect of this whole thing. For sure. You know, when you look at Christianity and when you look at what I think are the better sides of Christianity, the kind of the the more helpful sides, you know, even mm-hmm. if you don't believe, I think you can see, you know, this idea of you know, radical forgiveness, these mm-hmm. ideas of, you know, the Good Samaritan, how just because someone belongs to a different country or something like that, they could still be a good person. This idea right. of feeding the, the poor, this idea of. I think really digging inside of yourself to find Mm -hmm. those nasty elements of your personality and that it's not just about, you know, who has the most money, who has the most status. And it it can really be a beautiful thing, but it can also be a really difficult thing to do (laughs) and kind of, in a sense, boring. Like it's not exciting. It's not an exciting life to live this kind of what I think of as a, the exemplar of a Christian of a kind of Christian life. Mm -hmm. And this makes it way more exciting. It's literally demons and angels and you're in the thick of it. And it reminds me a lot of QAnon actually, Mm, Um, which if you want to learn more about that, highly recommend uh, QAnon anonymous. Um, I always uh, want to shout them out, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's funny to me how so many people ask, how can people believe in this? That some rando anonymous dude on 4chan and then 8chan is actually some high level military officer who knows all these secrets and is dropping all these hints. And it seems very simple to me why people believe it. It makes their lives so much more exciting. Exactly. It's so much fun and and it gives them meaning. It gives them meaning. It makes their, you know, people whose lives would presumably be fairly boring. They're now privy to secret information about the radical transformation of the United States government yes. about they're they're part of the story of fighting the deep state and you right. know by you know making these weird memes 
So yep. of course people believe in it. And I see the same thing here where, you know, if D&D is real, that's incredibly exciting. And it's something that people are going to want to be a part of. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's 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 one of the main things is the D&D aspect and how I think it's an easy way out. I, I mm. think it's an easy way out of the of the what I think of if you're going to be a Christian, the hard Christian work of, you know, helping your community, helping with with poverty and also kind of digging inside of yourself to find the hard bits. That's hard. But yeah. believing that when you're praying and that's giving an angel a sword to fight a demon, way more exciting. Oh, yeah. Second of all is kind of going into this episode and looking at the you know stuff in Uganda and the witch hunts and the the Christian coups and all this kind of stuff. We need to always judge organizations and practices in the context in which they're the most free to do whatever they want. Mm. And yes. I think a lot about this with I, I've had this analogy with Trump, actually, mm -hmm. where Trump is a master arsonist in a building which has a really good sprinkler system. Yeah. Where and I think a lot of people judge his presidency without taking the sprinkler system into account. Into, yep, like exactly. the fact yep. the fact that Trump is not free to do whatever he wants. Right. And so I think it would be a mistake to judge him just in terms of the actual consequences. What matters is like, what does he want to do? Yeah. Like, what is he uh, capable you know, of doing? Yeah. And yeah, it's like, you know, you know, I've said before that if you had a roommate that was an arsonist but didn't do any damage because you had a really good sprinkler system. You know, it's fine to criticize him. It wouldn't be like, look, nothing bad happened. I mean, you know, he's uh, <laughs> because your sprinkler system works really yeah. well. I think the same. I, I kept thinking about that in this episode where when you look at the spiritual warriors, when you look at these high end guys in the new apostolic reformation in the United States, where there are, you know, there's a lot of separation between church and state, you know, mm -hmm. is the primary factor. And, you know, we have strong civil institutions. The end game does not play out in the same way. What you have is you have people, you know, praying, you know, praying in a church that there'll be less crime and gangs. But once as soon as they're free to do what they really want to do, mm -hmm. they do some horrible, oh, nasty horrible shit. Things. Exactly. And I think this needs to be criticized with that in mind, because that is what that's the real face of this. It's yeah. real goofy and fun when they're in the United States and can't pull the shit where they're pulling coups or killing people because they think they're witches. Right. And I think it's really important in general to judge them on that basis. You have to judge someone when they're the most free. You yep. judge the arsonist outside when they're when they're setting fire to a building that doesn't have a sprinkler system. And on that fun, fun note, <laughs> we are done. Thank you for listening to None Dare Call It Ordinary. You can find us on Twitter at NDCIO, Instagram at None Dare Call It Ordinary, and send us an email at None Dare Call It Ordinary at gmail.com. For only $1 a month, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash None Dare Call It Ordinary. For information on all our episodes, as well as links to our YouTube channel and Discord server, head over to our website at nondarecallitordinary.com. As always, we ask that you please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, or wherever your podcasts are served.